Hello and welcome to the Haitian Helping Hands podcast. Haitian Helping Hands is a small organization with a big vision to see the gospel radically change the whole country of Haiti. And we are a part of seeing this vision fulfilled by planting churches, giving different communities access to free education, and creating opportunities to educate the community through entrepreneurship skills. My name is Emmanuel Cherry. I will be your host and your speaker today. I'm one of the servant leaders at Haitian Helping Hands and a volunteer. We've been doing a lot of work this summer um, trying to provide help, short-term relief to the people in Haiti. So we've been doing a summer food campaign, which you can give to on our Facebook page or online at www.haitianhelpinghands.org. Thanks for tuning in today. So today we're going to talk about a subject that is very heavy on my heart. This subject and this topic is something that doesn't usually get a lot of airtime, but is one of the most fundamental pillars of understanding the gospel. If you understand this well, you understand the beauty and the majesty of God's grace. It gives context to the whole gospel. Today, we're going to be talking about God's wrath. John Piper says this. He says that the most pressing issue for mankind for all time is the righteous wrath of God against guilty sinners leading to everlasting suffering unless God rescues us from his own judgment. The entire Bible speaks to the wrath of God and the judgment of God. In fact, Jesus speaks very frequently about hell and judgment in the Gospels. The passage which we'll be in today is which is going to be our launching point is going to be Matthew 25. Matthew is one of the four narrative biographies that captured the life of Jesus. Matthew specifically was written to show that Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah and that he is Emmanuel, which means God incarnate living among his people or God with us. The context of this passage is that the disciples have asked Jesus in the prior chapter, chapter 24, to tell them what signs will indicate his second coming and the end of time. So in chapter 24, Jesus gives them a wealth of markers and indicators that would mark his return, but he warns them to not become complacent if they don't see those signs. In chapter 25, Jesus continues to describe the vigilance and obedience that is necessary concerning his second coming through the use of parables and then We're going to pick up where he's talking about the end of time before eternity begins. So if you have your Bible or if you have a Bible app, turn with me to Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And it reads this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in the prison and visit you? And the king answered them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So we're focusing here on the latter half of the passage where God is doling out his wrath on those who do not believe. And we have three points today. The first point is that God's wrath is merited. Humanity is guilty. In James 2.10 it says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And Romans 3.10-12 says, As it is written, None is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. For all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So these passages are revealing to us that we cannot generate a right standing with God. In fact, we tend to generate the complete opposite. We tend to generate sin. We cannot keep the law. If we did keep nine out of the ten of the laws and failed at one, the standard of God is holiness, which means ten out of ten every time, no mistakes ever. And we as humanity are guilty according to God's holy standard, which comes from his holy character. Charles Spurgeon says this, If there is a God, he cannot let sin go unpunished. Humanity intentionally suppresses the truth and praises lies. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So this passage makes it clear that God made himself knowable to humanity, yet humanity chooses to look for fulfillment in other things and to make creation seem as powerful as God and to make God, to make what God sees as undesirable as desirable. And lastly, in Romans 3.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. So in conclusion, humanity is sinful. Sin is a personal offense to God's character because we are created in his image and we intentionally act in opposition to his character. And that sin must be judged and the judgment is death. 
The second point is that God's wrath has eternal effect. Romans 2, 6-8 says this, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 to 9 says, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Matthew 13, 41 says this, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And finally, Revelations 20, 14-15 says this, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The wrath of God results in eternal death. Eternity has no limit. Eternity is endless. Every human has an eternal choice to make. Either agree with God and surrender to him, which results in eternal peace, or to ignore God, which results in eternal, terrible, inescapable wrath. God's wrath is not God losing his temper. His wrath is a response to sin and rebellion against him. It is against all unrighteousness. God responds to us in wrath because of our sins. John Piper defines God's wrath as God's settled anger towards sin expressed in the repayment of suitable vengeance on the guilty sinner. So the Bible makes it very clear on this precipitous edge that humanity stands on when faced with a holy God who detests sin. It seems hopeless. God responds to us in wrath because of our sins. But the beautiful thing is, he responds to us in love because that is who he is. The last point about God's wrath is that God's wrath is placed on Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23-29 says this, For all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 5 and verse 12 say this. Surely he, speaking of Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds 
we are healed. Verse 12 says, Therefore I will divide him in a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you hear the sweet symphony of grace in those words? Do you hear the melody of hope? We were hopelessly and justifiably condemned to eternal wrath, but God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He didn't have to put Jesus on that cross, but he sent Jesus to endure the wrath that was meant for us. Isaiah tells us that he was crushed for our sin, that he intentionally allowed himself to endure the torture and agony of the cross because he knew that it would bring us eternal peace. God satisfied his wrath, his wrath by pouring it out on his son, holding nothing back. The beautiful thing is that if we would believe in him, we would find grace from God, gain eternal life in the future, and daily become more and more like Jesus as we follow his rule of life. So what's the takeaway? God's wrath is real. It is terrible. And it has eternal consequence. But his grace is also real. His grace is beautiful. And his grace is inescapable. And eternal. God's grace is a promise to those who will believe in Jesus and surrender to follow his way of life. John 3.16-18 to 18 says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So there are two types of promises from God, a promise to those who are his people and those who are not. To those who are his people, there is life and eternity. For those who do not believe, there is death, judgment, and wrath. But death and hell and judgment don't have to be your destiny. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, your heart meaning your will, your ways, and your wants, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, now is the time. Place your heart in Jesus' hands. In the beginning of time, the first man, Adam, disobeyed God and sinned. Because of Adam's actions, we are all prone to sin. We all start out in sin. We can see the effects of sin all around us. We see it in racism. We see it in suffering, in world hunger, in death. The Bible says that the wages of sin, which means the price of sin, is death. And that means that sin creates separation from God and that we are predisposed to his wrath. The beautiful thing is that the Bible says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're listening and you know that this moment is from you, you know that your heart is beating fast right now, you hear these words and they're affecting you. Now is the time. So you only have to do two things. You have to admit to God that you're a sinner. And agree with God that Jesus is the Son of God and that he was raised from the dead and his grace is provided for you. If you would do that right now in your own words, admitting to God that you're a sinner, that you are broken, that you can't do it on your own way anymore, 
and that you've had enough, if you would confess and believe that Jesus is Lord, that he was crucified, buried, and that he rose again, the Bible says that you have become a child of God. The Holy Spirit is now in your heart, and he will convict you and convince you of the gospel every day of your life, like he just did today. And he will conform you to the image of Christ each and every day until you meet Jesus one day. So if you submitted to the Spirit today, we would like to invite you to contact us at our Facebook page and on our website so that we can get you started with some resources to help you with your faith. Thank you for listening today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your beautiful grace. God, we thank that you we thank you that you are a God of justice and that you satisfied your justice and your justifiable wrath by sending Jesus in our place. We thank you for the grace that you provide. Lord, let us savor that grace. Let us see it as the beautiful melody that it is, the beautiful symphony that you have created in that grace. Let us live by it. Let us be changed by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.